All right, ladies, welcome. We're in Parashat Ekev. Now, these are summer parashiyot. And I must say something about the summer parashiyot. They are uh, a bit neglected. Especially these parashiyot are usually uh, during the vacation. Even rabbis have vacation. And usually the rabbis have uh, what's called benazmanim, which is uh, in between the semesters. So therefore, it's hard to find a rabbi giving a class during Parashat Ekev, because everybody's away. But uh, not here. Over here, we, uh, we are very diligent, and we don't skip a parashah. Every parashah deserves its respect, equal, equal opportunity to all the parashiyot. So uh, if you came to hear something about Parashat Ekev, you'll hear it. And... This parasha is very special to me because it was my bar mitzvah parasha wow. uh, that, uh, many years ago. Not, not think, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it's very sentimental. Uh, about 40 years ago, I was in Jerusalem. Uh, about this date, August 20th, was the date, and uh, I read the parasha at the, uh, at the Kotel. Uh, anybody wants to stay after the class, I'll read it for them. <laughs> you can hear it. Uh, Live rendition. <clears throat> All right, so uh, it's, a, it's a packed parasha. And the time is short. It's Erev Shabbat. Again, I, I thought to choose something from the parasha that has relevance not only to the uh, parasha to Shavuah, but to the Sidur. I always feel that if we could kill two birds with one stone, I mean, no pun intended, uh, that's better. We get a better value for our money over here. And uh, there is a connection between the parasha and something we say in the Sidur. And that is Birkat Amazon. In this week's parasha, we learn the source that if you eat the requisite amount of bread, you have to make what's called Beracha Harona. They learn it from the Pasuk, Ve'achalta. Well, everybody knows that part, Ve'achalta. I don't think I have to teach you about that part of the Pasuk. Uh, everybody fulfills the ba'achalta very good, lechumra. Uh, <laughs> it's the uh, it's the second part of the pasuk that v'sabata and to be satiated, to be full. Again, no uh, no tutorial necessary, necessary on that. Everybody usually gets off the table, and they say I'm full. So at least the first two parts of the pasuk we got down pat. It's the last part of the pasuk that gets tricky. That's uberachta, not to get off the table before you make a beracha. Namely, that is Birkat Hamazon. <clears throat> and uh, it's the only Beracha that is mandated by Torah law. I just said a big thing. All the Berachot that you're going to make were established by the rabbis. Uh, I made a Shea call on my coffee before I walked in here. That's from the rabbis. The Torah does not mandate me to make a Shea call, a Mizonot, a Gefen, a Hamotzi. Even the blessings that we make in the morning, great blessings, don't get me wrong, but they're all established from the rabbis. The only beracha that is uh, authorized from the Torah, that means God said to make the blessing, is Birkat Amazon. Again, that's specifically talking about making the what they call in, uh, in the English, grace after meals. That is the Birkat Amazon. And that, Hashem says, that's arguably the most important of all blessings that we have in our religion. So somebody would tell me, 
the most important blessing, Rabbi. What is it? I know we had a, we had a night here on Asheri Yatsar. It's very nice, Asheri Yatsar. Uh, it's very important. Uh, I'm not minimizing it, uh, but it's from the rabbis. It's from the rabbis. Birkat Mazon, however, is the only beracha that Hashem says uh, to make. And then we have the pasuk in this week's beracha. There is a book called Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch writes, when he talks about this mitzvah, that he has a tradition from his rabbis. That anybody that makes Birkat Mazon properly with the right kavanah is guaranteed that he will have his parnasah bechavod respectfully his whole life. And he will not have to worry about making, uh, making ends meet, making a living. He'll have parnasah bechavod, meaning not just uh, you know, to get by. He'll have parnasah uh, bechavod. So if, if that, uh, that might be an incentive to make Brikat Amazon. Now, this is an opinion now. It's not officially part of the class, but it's an opinion that I have. I haven't seen this in a book, but it's, I do believe it. That uh, today, for whatever reason it is, people are trying to escape from making Birkat Amazon. Hence the new item called Mizonot bread. <laughs> and and that's, that's a great invention. Uh, I, think, I think the purpose of Mizonot bread is not to get us away from gluten because Mizonot has gluten in it. So that's gluten-free. That's another, you know, that's another Avodah Zarah that we'll deal with at another time. Uh, uh, my grandmother ate gluten and she lived to 100 years old. So I don't know, I don't know when gluten all of a sudden became the enemy of, uh, of mankind. But that's another, not for another day. That everything all of a sudden, if it has gluten, that's like the Yetzirah. No, you can't have gluten. It's, it's uh, the big X on the bar, gluten-free. Okay, that's, that's an opinion that I have on That's for another day. But the point is, even those that eat gluten, uh, so they're, they're very careful to make sure that it's mezonot because with a mezonot, you don't have to make Birkat Amazon. And Birkat Amazon can take four minutes. And uh, we're busy. You know, that, 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 that's an extra movie on YouTube. That's an extra, you know, an extra, an extra email, whatever it may be. So that's a sign of the times that we're trying to bypass Birkat Amazon, the most important Birkat the Torah. Why would we want to bypass it? If anything, we would try to put ourselves in a position to make the beracha in order to get the blessing of God. Second uh, opinion, uh, pet peeve of mine, uh, is, and even those that, let's say, will make mizonot because they don't want to make berkat mazon, and again, they don't want to wash their hands either. I mean, you have to go to the sink and wash your hands and make hamot. It's, it's a big burden. Much easier just to stay put Make mezonot, make Allah mehya, and we'll call it a day. But the question is, how do you know if the bread that you're eating is mezonot or not? That's the real question. And we have an answer for that. You ask the waiter. <laughs> you ask the waiter. Because it's, it's well known that in Mexico they teach all the waiters the laws of berachot. And the Mexican waiters know very, very good hilchot berachot. So if they tell you, yeah, it's mezonot. Oh, that's it. He said, it's mezonot. Finished over there. So if anybody have any halachic questions, go to your local waiter in the restaurant and ask them exactly all your sifikot and halacha, and they'll give it to you. And we trust them. And we trust, I wonder if he said hamotzi, we probably would ask for a second opinion. 
No, bring, bring me your manager. It can't be. It can't be. But if he says mizonot, say, would he lie to me? He must know. He works in the restaurant. And therefore, uh, I think a lot of the mizonot is probably not mizonot. But that's for halakha class. I think we have to make, maybe once make a halakha class and, you know, just because uh, somebody tells you it's mizonot and it's written on the package mizonot, I'm not too sure if it is mizonot. Therefore, we're depriving ourselves of the blessing of Birkat Mazon and we're in contempt of this biblical blessing, and then we are in contempt of receiving the, the blessings of Panasa Bechavod. So again, just word to the wise, I don't think it's something we should avoid doing, I think it's something we should embrace, something we should uh, feel very fortunate that God gave us this blessing, especially on Shabbat. You know, on Shabbat, if you're following it the right way, you're going to make the Beracha three times. That might explain to us why they say that if you keep the Shabbat and you don't go to work, you'll get a beracha. Well, that's counterintuitive. How, how could you not go to work and get a beracha? Because you're making the Ketamazon three times. So because you're making the Ketamazon so many times, and the rabbi promised that you'll get Panasa Bechavon, so there you go. Uh, and for those that keep Melaveh Malka, so you're actually making Ketamazon four times in the, in, in the span of 24 hours. And then, okay, then you can go gluten-free Sunday to Friday. But at least on Shabbat, you should try to uh, make the Birkat Amazon in the proper way. Okay, that's, that's just some uh, op-ed. The Gemara tells us that there's three primary blessings in the Birkat Amazon. Uh, there's the Birkat Hazan, Hazan Etakol, which means God gives us sustenance. And then there's the Beracha of Nodelecha, which talks about the land of Israel, Allah Aris wa Amazon. And then the third Beracha talks about the city of Jerusalem and the Beit HaMikdash. And the Hachamim learn that these three blessings are actually born from the Pesukim. The Pesuk says, Ve'achata v'savarta. Uberachta, the word Uberachta, Gemara, Berachot, page 48. Uberachta zu birkat hazan. That's hazan takol. That's the second beracha. Because Yerushalayim is called the, the good city. Which is Beit HaMikdash. So you see from the words themselves, we learn the three berachot. The Gemara then tells us that from the Torah, there was no text. When Moshe Rabbeinu came down to give us grace after meals, he didn't give us a, 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 a card, a laminated card, and say, here it is. He came along and said, listen, you have to bless God three times, three different ways. One should include blessing for sustenance, one should include blessing the land, one should include praying for Jerusalem and the temple. And everybody could freelance. Do, do it on your, in your own words. That's the way it was for a while. You were able to make Amazon in your own Words. Talk to God, make sure you mention these three things. Later on, uh, the tzaddikim wanted to make it easy for us, to make us a, a set text, so we don't have to worry. Everybody's going to say something else, and a lot of people, they panic when you tell them to say it in your own words, and they freeze. So Moshe Rabbeinu came along and wrote for us the text for the first beracha. So the first, but by the way, so... The next time you make Birkat Tamazon, no, you're reading a text that was authored by Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, this is uh, the greats. 
the greatest prophet that ever lived, that first paragraph is his composition. The second uh, paragraph of Birkat Mazon, which is Nodelecha, was written by his student Yoshua ben Nun, another great, and rightfully so, it was Yoshua that helped us conquer the land. So if anybody knows about Allah the land, it's Yoshua. He fought for seven years to conquer the land. And then the Berachav Rahem, which is the third Beracha, was actually written by two authors. It's a co-authored by King David when he came into Jerusalem, and then by King Solomon when he built the first temple. So it's David Shlomo. So look at this, when you say Birkat Mazon, forget about the fact that God commands us to make this Beracha, but you're connecting to the tzaddikim. I mean, where do you have a prayer that in, 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 one, uh, in one blessing you get Moshe, Yoshua, David, and Shalomo? I mean, these are the greats. Just that alone, to invoke the merit of these Sadiqim, already uh, can bring a person to great Beracha. Fine. And then we get to a... Uh, The fourth beracha. The fourth beracha is, is not from the Torah. The fourth beracha is a rabbinical institution. It's interesting. So the first three are from the Torah, and then the fourth beracha the rabbis added on later. It's called the beracha batov ha-metiv. Beracha tatov ha-metiv. When was this established? What, what was the matter with the three blessings? What, what happened over here? So it was established after a very, uh, what should I say, a tragic event that happened but ended up with a silver lining. I'll tell you the story. After the temple was destroyed, I'm talking about the second temple by the Romans, that was... Uh, Vespasian and Titos and all those, uh, you know, uh, bad people. So after they destroyed the temple, there was still one holdout in the city of Betar. Betar was a major metropolis in Eretz Israel, big city, hundreds of thousands of Jews. And although the temple was destroyed, life in Betar went on as, as normal, as usual. And there was uh, claims against the people of Betar that they didn't maybe uh, sympathize or empathize with the people of Jerusalem after the temple was destroyed. You know, they went on to live and they were still making their parties and they still had their life, whatever it was. And, you know, poor people in Jerusalem, okay, so we don't have a temple. But life is usual in Betar. So 52 years after the destruction of the second temple, the Romans came into Betar which again was the last stronghold of the Jewish people, Bar Kokhba, if you remember that story, Bar Kokhba, not going to go into it now, that was Yadav Akiva and all the great Sadiqim, and they raised the city, raised, not lift up, raised meaning R-A-Z-E, they destroyed it, they raised it, they raised it down. They destroyed the city of Betar, and they killed tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of our people. It was a, Great, great tragedy. Uh, the fall of the city of Betar. And uh, the rabbis actually say that it's because we were in contempt 
of the covenant that we have with God. The, the way we say covenant in Hebrew is berit. And if you take the word berit, it's the same letters as betar. Uh, because they, they broke, the, that's, I didn't say that, that's the great rabbi called Ya'abetz, says in his Sidur. Betar otiot berit. <clears throat> anyway, they killed all these people and the Romans, in, a, in, in an act of uh, humiliation, did not allow us to go in and bury the corpses. Uh, and they actually just piled them up around their fields, and they used the blood of these corpses for fertilizer for seven years. And this is an, a, a terrible tragedy. Besides the fact that they bludgeoned the Jewish people, they didn't let us bury and you know how important the mitzvah burial is in Judaism. In Jerusalem, for example, they're so strict that they don't allow a body to remain overnight. If somebody dies, God forbid, in Jerusalem, at 9 o'clock at night, they bury him at 9.30, finish, and they ground at night. They won't wait till the morning, no matter what. That's a written rule in Jerusalem. The cemetery is open 24 hours a day. In America, you have to deal with the, with the unions. You know? They, they, they start working at 11, and then they have lunch at 12, and then they, they go home at 2. So you really only got a short, short window to... Uh, can't even die in peace in this country. But the point is... But the point is that... Uh, so they were left unburied for seven years. Yes, I'm saying a big hadusha, seven years. Finally, after seven years, the Romans allowed the Jews and the Hevra Kaddisha, the burial society, to come in. I mean, for what to come in. Uh, I don't have to tell you that the decay sets in immediately, and especially if you have bodies that are, I mean, I'm sorry to talk about this after your breakfast, but if you leave the bodies over seven summers, I mean, you leave a tomato out overnight that spoils in the summer. And now, God forbid, these bodies, so when the Hevra Kanisha came in, they didn't expect to uh, see they expected to see the most gruesome, uh, you know, carnage. And when they came in, they saw Neskadol. The bodies did not decay. Miracle of miracles, the bodies remained intact, fresh, and uh, they buried. And everybody, everybody was, was amazed by this. This is nothing short than an open, supernatural miracle that they saw uh, in their times. At that point, the rabbis established the blessing. Hatov v'hametiv. God is good and he does better. Hatov, that they didn't decay. V'hametiv, that we got permission to bury them. So they made a special blessing uh, to commemorate these, this double miracle. Number one, uh, they're here, they're still here, they're still intact. And we don't take it for granted that the Romans finally let us bury them. We have to give Hakarat HaTov Tashem on that. So they established a beracha called HaTov HaMetiv. That's the origin of that beracha. It's very nice. <clears throat> Only question is, what is this doing in Birkat HaMazon? I mean, that's, that's the, that is the question. I mean, great beracha now. We, we should make this beracha, and we do make this beracha outside of Birkat Amazon. For example, if somebody has a, a second cup of wine, uh, 
I'm not going through all the rules, but if all the rules are, all, if all the conditions are met, you have a second cup of wine, and you're drinking with people, and the wine is not worse than the first wine, and so on, you can make a special beraka on that wine called Hatov Amitiv. So we do make this beraka outside of Birkat Tabazon, but primarily our, I mean, it doesn't look like we have too many wine drinkers, at least second cup wine drinkers in this room. The point is, the main connection that we have with Hatov Amitiv is in Birkat Tabazon. And the question is, why? Why there? I don't have a problem if the rabbi said, listen, on the anniversary of that event, we're going to make a thing just like when we like the Hanukkah, we say, I don't know what date this happened. Whatever date the miracle was, they should say, today's the Tov Amitiv day, don't forget the end of Amidah, make an extra Benakah, Tov Amitiv, to thank God for the miracle that happened in, in, uh, in Betar. But no, they decided to put it in Amazon, and the question is, why? Anybody have a homash in front of them? Right, uh, yes. Beautiful. Look at that. I should have asked for Mashiach. Right. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, it is on the right page. Look at that. Can't get better than that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what the Meshach Hochmas says. Rabbi Meir Simcha Kohen Medvinsk. The Meshach Hochmah quotes a Gemara. Ladies, don't get nervous when you hear the word Gemara. I know you don't learn Gemara that often, but ladies can learn this, this Gemara. They'll understand it. It's, a, it's quite straightforward. The Gemara has a question. How do you know you're supposed to make Birkat Amazon? Pasuk. Beautiful. So the Gemara says, well, how do we know then that you have to make a Beracha before you eat? Where do we know that from? So the Gemara invokes what we call a Kalvahomer. Kalvahomer goes like this. If you're telling me we have to say a Beracha after we eat, when I guess we're not so needy anymore, after you eat already, you're full. The need is, is met. So certainly, when you're, before you eat, when you're hungry, when you really need the, uh, the food, certainly you should make a baracha. I mean, it's a kalvahomer. If you have to make a baracha after the fact, certainly you should make a baracha before the fact. That's the way I understand the kalvahomer. Now, you must know something. Since we make a kalvahomer, that should mandate it, that it should be from the Torah. Because anything that's drawn from a Kavahomer has Torah standing. But I just told you earlier that the first blessings are not from Torah standings. That means there must be something wrong with the logic I just gave you. Must be the Kavahomer is not, it's not 100% accurate. Even though it sounds good to me. If you have to make a Berakha after the fact, certainly you have to make a Berakha before. Says the Mishnah Chochmah, it's a nice sounding Kalmahomet, but it's not accurate exactly. Why? And to me, this is a, a novel, big Hadush. Ask yourself a question. If I were to ask you, what's the reason why Hashem wants us to make a beracha after you eat? What would you tell me? Exactly. Thank you, gratitude. Uh, by the way, I, I would say the same thing. That's what I believed before I came into the room also. 
It's gratitude. And it is gratitude. I'm not taking that away. But it's not only gratitude. I will tell you. But it's a ladies class, so it doesn't, doesn't work so much. But if I was in a men's class, uh, I would tell the men, Rabbi Miller, Allah Vashem used to say, that uh, don't forget to thank your wives also for making the dinner. You know, you have very religious people that put on the hat and jacket, and they say, with great kabana, and the wife says, what are you doing? Well, I'm thanking God. He didn't make the dinner, I made the dinner. What are you thanking God for? I burnt my hands. I have all the stains uh, on, my, uh, on, my, on my shirt over here. I was working in the kitchen all day. You want to thank God? Very nice. But the, the, Rabbi Miller says, you cannot thank uh, the one that you don't see uh, uh, if you can't thank the one that you do see. I mean, you, you, you see the one who made it to you. That, that one doesn't deserve a thank you, not only the one. Now, maybe you don't have to make four berachot on your wife, but uh, a thank you would be in order. You, know, you don't have to make four berachot. One, one berachot, and that's all she wants anyway. So therefore, just an acknowledgement of it, uh, it would be hypocritical just to direct our gratitude only to God and to deny that there was human uh, intervention in producing the, uh, in producing the dinners. That's just a... Uh, a word for the men, or to the ladies who have their husbands cooking for them. It works both, it works both ways. That's a rarity. Uh, so now, the Rav Meshech Chochmah introduces a, 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 an unbelievable idea. And he says, he says that there's a second reason why we're making Berkat Amazon. He says because something happens to people on a full stomach. That doesn't happen to people on an empty stomach. Now, when the difference is not only empty or full, the tank full or tank empty. There's, there's an attitude that happens. Why is it that on Yom Kippur, for example, we have to fast? It's a holiday. Why can't we eat? Because we all know that on a day of a fast, we're humbled. When you're fasting, since you have less physical inside of you, you're more, well, we're more subdued, we're more tempered, we're more, uh, 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 you know, lowered. We're humbled. What happens if the person eats a good meal, satiated himself? Now already starts to feel, oh, you know, most of the sins that people do happen on a full stomach, not an empty stomach. You know, first you go out to, to eat something, you drink a little, you're feeling good. Now, now you have all these calories, we've got to use them for something. And you feel strong and you feel healthy. That's the way it is. That's the way. Sins are usually made through uh, a bounty and plenty, and uh, not, uh, uh, not empty, uh, not, not when a person is starving and hungry. Usually, when he's starving and hungry, he's needy, and he becomes uh, very, very uh, penitent and repentant, and uh, you know, he feels uh, uh, close to Hashem when you start to eat. And if you look at the Pesukim, by the way, that Birkat Amazon is written in, this, the Pesukim, the context, Listen to the context. I only read you the first pasuk. But look at the context. The pasuk says like this. The pasuk right after. God says, I'm warning you. 
Careful. Don't forget God. Because I'm worried that you might eat and you might get full. Oh, that's what we're talking about. And what's going to happen? You're going to start to feel plenty and you're going to start to have an abundance and you're going to start to have a lot. You're going to become hoary. And you're going to come to forget God and you're going to come along and say, See all the success? It's all me. I am the uh, 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 inventor and the cause of all my prosperity, my brains, my idea, my uh, work, my diligence, my industriousness, whatever you're going to say. And then everybody starts to take credit. What happens if the person starts to eat? He starts telling stories about himself, how successful he was and what he did and how he outsmarted everybody. And, and very rarely does it end with God. The, 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 the saying goes that uh, when people make money, they take the credit for themselves. And when they lose money, they say, uh, now God only knows how to lose money. He doesn't know how to make money. They said, uh, uh, success has many fathers. Failure is an orphan. Which means uh, everybody takes the successes that they did. You know, when it comes to the failures, well, it wasn't me. I don't know. They, they blame it on God. So and that's what happens when a person uh, is eating. And put, put, put a nice piece of meat in front of them. Put some nice appetizers, put in a glass of wine. And all of a sudden, uh, now you start to see the music goes on and everybody starts to think that they run the world, they're in control. So there's a danger of the akhalta b'savata. There's a danger. I'm not talking about the calories and I'm not talking about the, the, the cholesterol. There's a danger in the akhalta b'savata. Usually it's the akhalta b'savata b'shachahta. That's what you said. Which I got to mean, and you will forget. Forget who? Forget the source and the origin where all of your beracha comes from. So therefore, says says that Meshach was something so incredible. He says, so we need to offset that negative consequence of eating and being satiated. So you know how you offset the b'shachahta? Uberachta. You make a blessing. So the blessing is not only to give thanks to God, but it's to remember where your blessing comes from. So the food will not be the cause of your denial and your uh, uh, shalom, uh, uh, conceit and the, and, the, and the high-heartedness. The beracha is to bring the person back to, his, to the roots. That's God. So we invoke the tzaddikim, Moshe, Yoshua, David, Shalomor. We mentioned all these things over there. I'll read you the Lashon of the Mesh Ochmah, if you don't mind. He says, yeah, sure, the blessing of Birkat the Moshe has to do with giving thanks. Aval be'emet, en ha-beracha al ze bilvad. It's not the only reason. Raku inyan u-mechuvan acher. It has a different intent. When a person eats and gets full, he's prone to rebel. Leba'it means to kick. You know, you put some straw in front of a lion, he doesn't roar. You put a piece of meat in front of a lion, he roars. Just by seeing the piece of meat already, the lion becomes empowered. Moshe Akalta v'savata v'shakartat Hashem Elohecha. 
So the the Mishnah Chabad does something beautiful over here. He learns the reason of Birkat Amazon from the context of where it was put. I just said something big. I would have guessed like you, gratitude. But the rabbi says, but this pasuk is not put in the context where the Torah is talking about gratitude. It's written in the context of the parashat that's talking about people that forget God in opulence. That people forget God because of their success. Why would the Torah in the middle of a pasuk that's talking about the forgetting of God, but don't forget to make the Mazon? Because the rabbi is saying that is the antidote against forgetting God. A person wants to eat and get full, but I was worried. Is this eating going to bring me further away from God? Is this going to cause me to have uh, uh, thoughts of uh, self-empowerment and self-accomplishment, uh, which is a problem? How do I offset that? That's why it says, The Pasuk says, it is God that gives you the koah. What is koah? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. God gives you the strength, koah, to succeed. I don't know if you speak Hebrew, uh, uh, how good your Hebrew is. But how would we say potential in Hebrew? Potential in, in, in Lashon of the Hachamim. When something comes to fruition, we say, Yatzale Po'al. It, it came out to fruition. When it's still in the uh, potential, in the idea, we say, it's Koah. It's a Koah. It's not a, it didn't come out. Zerak Bekoah. Bekoah means in potentiality. Of course, we want sometimes the koach to come the po'al. That what's in your mind, which is just thoughts, should come to fruition. That's called koach and po'al. You learn Hebrew now. So when the pasuk says, Ki hua noten koach. What does koach mean? The potential, which Mr. Shalom, you're correct. The idea. Which means to say, even if you have an idea that turns out to be successful, don't even take credit for the good idea. The good idea only came to you because God gave you the kawah. person has an idea to buy a certain house. And then he comes after and says, well, I was so smart when I bought my house. Now the prices are 10 times the amount. I knew I should have bought it. Everybody told me, don't do it. I bought it. Hey, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Who gave you the idea? Who gave the idea? I gave the idea. I'm not a prophet. God didn't come to me in a dream. <laughs> That's your mistake. He's the one that gives you even the koah, the potential idea before it comes. Why does a, why does a, a certain a businessman decide he's going to sell this item? Where did he get the idea from? He decides he can make money on this product. And then he makes a lot of money. I knew it. I knew it. See that? I, what do you know? You know nothing. A ship put in your brain to do it over there. You can't take credit even for that. Now, how do I know I'm right? Because if you look at the, uh, the commentary, there's an Aramaic commentary on the Torah. It's called Unkelus. 
I know many of you don't speak Aramaic, but Aramaic actually is my first language. I mean, in, in the class I speak to you in English, but the rest of the day I speak Aramaic to my friends. Yeah, because we learned the Talmud. The Talmud is in Aramaic. So most of the day I speak uh, Aramaic. But as a courtesy, I, I switched to English for the Shi'ur. Look what it says in the, in, 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 in over here. It says, Ki hu hanoten it's in Pasuk 17. Look at the Targum. Vetemar belibach. You're going to say in your heart. Cheli, my strength. Utkef yedi, in the power of my hand. Kenali niksaya. Acquired me all these assets. Vetidkari atashem elahach. But you have to remember God. Are because... What is etzah? The idea. God has given you the etzah in order to acquire assets. The idea is from God. You can't even take credit for that. That even if a person is going to say, well, listen, I, I, I couldn't control whether the customer buys it or not, but at least give me credit for creating the item, even that we're not giving you credit for. That's too much credit you're taking. But when a person eats and drinks and is satiated, so arrogance sets in, and I want to point out to you, King Solomon, the wisest of all men, was worried about living in the extremes. He prayed to God that he should not have extreme wealth, nor should he have extreme poverty. He wanted to be somewhere in between. Now, he tells us why he did not want to live on the extremes. He says, because if I become poor, lest I steal, it will bring me to stealing. As the Pasuk says, Pen ivaresh veganavti. Lest I become poor and I will come to steal. But what he says, lest I become rich, pen esbaq. Lest I become satiated, v'chahashti, and I will deny God. Now, both extremes bring bad consequence, but which is the worst consequence? It's one thing to steal. Okay, that's not good, but still you pay it back. But to deny God. So Shilomo was saying that the challenge of being too wealthy or wealthy is much greater than being poor or too poor. Both have their challenges. Uh, but uh, the danger is great. And therefore, the, the antidote says the Meshach against Meshachachti that after you eat a good meal, now you need to get vaccinated. Not that type of vaccination. You need to vaccinate yourself against something that's even more dangerous than those things. Forgetting God. That a mask is not going to save you from. Forgetting God, what's going to save you from is Birkat Amazon. When you make the Birkat Amazon, you remind yourself uh, that everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, says the Mishkoma, something stunning. Yeah, listen to that man. I mean, it's amazing how these rabbis think of these things. He says, therefore, you cannot learn a Kalvahome that if I have to make a Beracha Aharonah, for sure I have to make a berachari shona because it's different reasons. 
The reason why I have to make a berachah harona is because when I'm full, I'm in trouble. But that doesn't mean when you're hungry, you would have to make a berachah. On the contrary, the whole reason why I'm making the berachah when I'm full, because I need to make this berachah to offset arrogance. But just because I need the berachah, does not necessarily mean that I need a beracha when I'm humble and my stomach is empty. On the contrary, if that's the reason for beracha, it would not mandate to make a beracha in Shona. That's a big, big Hadush of the Mishra of So therefore, beracha in Shona is not from the Torah. God felt beracha uh, is nice to make a beracha, but uh, I don't obligate it because you really don't need it. You need to be inoculated after you eat. That's, that's when it hurts. It doesn't hurt before you eat. The damage is after. Now the Meshachimah doesn't say this, but I'm throwing down my two cents. So they talk about, they talk about the Wheel of Fortune. Not the game, the real Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune of life. Holy books refer to the world as a galgal. Galgal literally means a wheel. And the wheel is always turning. And uh, there's some people on top, but just because a person is on top does not necessarily mean they remain on top. Uh, it's quite possible as the wheel of fortune turns, somebody that finds himself on the bottom does not mean he's always going to be on the bottom. Things are able to turn very quickly and, and, and move very, 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 very fast. The Sefer HaChinuch, again, in a different mitzvah, when he's talking about be nice to your slaves. Those days they were able to have slaves, Jewish slaves. So the Torah says, better treat them nicely. To the extent the Gemara says, if you have one piece of meat, that's a good piece of meat, and you have one piece that's not so good, give them the better piece. And if you have a pillow, uh, only one pillow, he gets the pillow. And if you have, you know, good wine, and not so good, give him the good wine. Kitovlo, you have to give him the best. To the extent the rabbis came along and said, in Judaism, anybody that buys a slave, actually is buying an owner. Because he owns you. Because you gotta treat him so nicely that uh, he's, he's sleeping on your pillow, he's eating your meat, drinking your wine. You're sleeping on the floor, you're eating, uh, you know, rice and lentils and jadra, and you're having uh, uh, lemonade instead of... Uh, and who, who gets the better end of it? Heaven. So the Sefer HaChinuch says, it doesn't only apply to slaves. It applies to anybody that you... Any person that you're having contact with, you have to treat them properly. You have to give them the right respect. And the Sefer HaChinuch says, even a slave that was sold into slavery because of his sins, doesn't matter. You have to treat him with white gloves. Not your business, he sinned, he's not sinned. Bottom line, you gotta treat a person with respect. You could have said, well, listen, he stole, that's why he's a slave, therefore, you know, I'm gonna humiliate him. He says, no, you, it's not your business, you're not God. Everybody needs to be treated properly. Says the Hinuch, why? Because what goes around comes around. He says, uh, now you're the boss and he's the slave. What do you think, the Galgad doesn't turn? You think the Galgad? And therefore, you better be nice because you might be in that same position one day. And when you're in the same position, you're going to want them to treat you with white gloves. So therefore, be careful. You better treat everybody nicely because that guy one day can be your boss. Now, even though you say to yourself, what do you mean? I'm, I'm a rich man. He's a poor guy. It never happened. It happened. 
And there's many, many stories of people that went to sleep wealthy and they woke up unwealthy. And there's people that went to sleep poor and they woke up rich. It happens, and we've seen it, and we know it, and it happens. The Hinuch's the language is, It can happen in an instant, exactly, in a second. So it's not something that takes, you know, nine months of gestation process for it to happen. It happens in Gerega. But nobody thinks after they ate the Dalmanico steak with the, uh, with the marrow, and they had two beers, and they have a nice uh, souffle for dessert with the ice cream on it, with, with, a, with a double espresso. Uh, nobody's thinking that, uh, you know, they're ever going to be hungry. And nobody ever thinks that, you know, life could go bad, that the wheel could turn against them. <laughs> so you know what Dachamim said? We don't want to spoil your dinner. But we want to remind you of the story of Betar. These were people that were rich and they were prosperous, they were successful. And even when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem, Betar survived it. And life went on as usual. And they seemed that they dodged a bullet and Betar was above any peril and any, any God forbid, uh, danger. And Betar said, it can never happen to us. And then we read the story of Atova Metiv. We say, well, what's this Atova Metiv business? What, what happened? Oh, you don't know what happened when the Romans came in? They took the whole city down and they killed everybody. Not only did they kill all the people, they didn't even let them get buried. Even a simple thing we take for granted, like burial, they didn't even get that. Who would have imagined that the wealthy, Ashur people of Betar would be strewn their bodies in the middle of the fields, bodies being used for fertilizer. These were the most aristocratic people. And now they became denigrated and degraded to the lowest level. And again, if that doesn't ruin your dinner, nothing will. And that's the purpose. They're not trying to ruin your appetite, but they're trying to say, calm down. Calm down. If it could happen in Betar, it could happen anywhere. These people never expected it to happen to them. They felt that the wheel of fortune is locked. They felt that the wheel of fortune is it's stuck on that. There was one time somebody went to the, uh, to, 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 to the court of the and his friend heard him praying, and he was praying that... Um, Please, God, uh, uh, please, uh, 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 a flat tire, a flat tire, a flat tire. Flat tire, who, who plays with my tire? So he said, no, no, my, the wheel of fortune, I know it always turns, but I'm on top, I'm praying for a flat tire now. <laughs> that the wheel won't turn anymore. I get stuck on top, I don't want it to turn. I'm playing a ship, give the wheel of fortune a flat tire so I don't have to worry about it moving already. Huh? Problem is, uh, there's always, it always, always moves. And therefore, in the Birkat Amazon, the story of Betar is part of that process of keeping a person humble, keeping a person modest. That don't look at your monetary successes. Don't look at all the batim tovim and the homes and all the enjoyment that we have. This is something that's very, very important. Uh, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows the dangers of, of opulence and knows the dangers of wealth. And, uh, 
people, unfortunately, we see it sometimes in the kids. Uh, kids that come from the wealthy families, they think they're entitled. They think they couldn't do whatever they want. They're going to be brazen to it. Because you have something, uh, it's not even yours. That's even a, a bigger sin. It's not even theirs. That's even a. There was once a. Uh, my rabbi told this to me when I was young. We believed it with a grain of salt because it's such a funny story to believe. But then one of the members of that synagogue actually Googled it and found the. You know, if, if it's on Google, it must be true. And uh, <laughs> he found actually the. The, the source of it, that there was a, uh, there was a, a talk show at the time, and it was before I was born, and uh, they had this guy on the show, like a, you know, a Jack LaLanne type of guy, you know, he was a 70-year-old guy, and he's fit, guy's muscles on muscles, and he's, uh, you know, no fat, and he's sitting there, and he's talking, and he's saying, yeah, I eat healthy, and I'm doing this and that, and I work out every day, and... And they said, wow, it's amazing to see a 70-year-old guy. Like, you look like this. You look like you're 50 years old or 40 years old even. He's no white hair and he's sticking your aisle. And uh, the, the talk show host tells me, now, what, what's the plan? He says, listen, if I could continue to keep this up, I'll live forever. I'll live forever. And he's giving himself all the credit, you know, how he's eating and he's doing it. I'll live forever. Okay, anyway, so we'll be back uh, after this commercial break. He died during the commercial break. <laughs> You believe this? The guy, they come back after the commercial. He's, the guy's not there. Now, what happened? We're sorry, the guy. Uh, but he just says he's going to live forever. He just says he's going to live forever. <laughs> he didn't even make it three minutes for the commercial. He didn't even make it three minutes for the commercial. And that shit comes along and says, what do you think over here? You think because you're on top over here? That's what the Hinuch meant when he said rega. When he said rega, he meant even for a, a, a second, it can change. And that's exactly what you, you, don't, 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 don't test the Borei Olam. And then my rabbi with that story would tell me one more story that I'll let you go because the time is short and I have to go. He would say that there was, a, there was a wealthy man and he was at a press conference and he got up in front of all the, the reporters and he said, I can say one thing, that I have so much money, one thing I can guarantee, I'll never die of starvation. Uh, he opened his big mouth. Because, and he's right. How can he die of starvation? He got so much money. Meaning, he might get hit by a car. He might get struck by lightning. But starvation, that's not going to happen. Uh, even if the prices of food go through the roof, he can afford it. A few days later, he got locked in his vault. And he went missing. Nobody knows where the guy is. Sure enough, three days later, they find him in the vault. Cause of death, dehydration, and then starvation. Now, therefore... That's Gaaba. Borei Olam has a way to, to bring the, the arrogant uh, down. And uh, I once heard, uh, it's a well-known story, when the Russians, the, the communists, when they sent the first cosmonaut uh, into space, you could, you could look, look, Google his name. I'm not going to say his name. It doesn't deserve to be quoted. And of course, uh, when Neil Armstrong came down, the first American, they came along and they talked about how they read the first... Pesukim of the Bible when they got onto the moon. Bereshit, Elohim, et They read about the creation because they were seeing the world from such a vantage point and they read Pesukim of the Bible, God's creation. They saw, you know, they, 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 they saw God and the, the Russian cosmonaut comes back and says, I went up to the heavens and I did not find God. A few days later he died and the rabbi said, the Borei Olam said, you didn't find me, come, come. <laughs> 
come. I'll give you a private, uh, private meeting, you don't find me. And therefore, one has to know that be careful of gava, of arrogance, because God has a very, very easy way of bringing a person back to the reality. We don't want that. And the best way, says the Mishnah Chokmah, is read the Birkat Tamazon. And that's one. So besides Birkat Tamazon being uh, thank you, that's for sure. But Birkat Tamazon has a different element. The element is to ground the person. And then you tell the story of Betar, and you say to yourself, who could have believed that this would have happened in Betar? And if it happened there, God forbid it could happen anywhere. And therefore, right away, it'll keep the person measured and tempered. So the koach is the mocha rishonah. The koach is the. Uh, oh, you want to say? What do you mean by that? Can we answer the question why we have mocha rishonah. Mocha rishonah is to thank God for the sustenance. Hazan, hazan, hazan. But it's not a kavachomer. Oh, the mocha you mean? Yeah. Yes. yes, it's not a kavachomer because the reason that we make a beracha harona, that problem doesn't apply to beracha rishonah. The reason why I'm making beracha is I have gaava that I need to offset. In beracha rishona, when I'm hungry, there's no gaava. So just because I need to make a second blessing would not automatically mean I should make a first blessing. That's why first blessings are not minat Torah. That means first blessings from the Torah, uh, optional. Second blessings, mandatory. We'll stop over here. Baruch Amen. Said the first blessing was so the first blessing. That, that, that can turn it. So Ladies, my schedule. Uh, no, I'm here next week. The first, week, yes. the first blessing is what then? Yeah. The first blessing is for? The first blessing is, not, is, 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 is for gratitude. Be gratitude. I it was like the first blessing, Shakol. Yeah. Before I take so the food, I thank God. But the second beracha is not merely gratitude. The second beracha is to offset the arrogance, which doesn't apply to the first blessing. I was trying to tie it in with the koach that comes before the mass. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't go that far. Okay. Maybe. You know, yeah. you know what they always say? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. It works perfectly. You're right. Yeah. Shalom. Oh, wait, no. And it was Malava Malva. I keep it inside and I was breathing and I I'll said, take the- Listen to this. He's doing everything. 